You're listening to the Social Selling Simplified Podcast. Stick around if you too are obsessed with learning things that actually work and believe that success leaves clues. We're all about identifying results-producing roadmaps and getting super clear on how to scale and grow your online business. From part-timer to president, social selling expert Ashley Shaw will help you connect the dots and take the guesswork out of what works to grow a social selling empire. It's time to hear from social selling legends, listen in on truthful conversations, and learn the best tips and tricks to reduce the marketing overwhelm so you can build the social selling business of your dreams. If you're ready to go all in, no holding back, and build the business you've always wanted, you're in the right place. Here's your host, educator, social selling guru, and fitness industry OG, Ashley Shaw. Welcome to Social Selling Simplified. I'm your host, Ashley Shaw, and today I am talking to Tara Roskell and Sandra Busby. They have co-created the group Kicking the Creatives, which is not only a website, it's also a podcast and Facebook group and really a community that was launched in January in of 2018, and they help people build a creative habit by taking part in creative challenges. So I want to tell you guys a little bit about Sandra and Tara in terms of their individual pursuits so that we can lay out the foundation of what we're going to be jumping into and talking about today. So Sandra is a largely self-taught artist who started drawing and painting in her early 30s. She abandoned the traditional path of open art school just a few months in as she felt stifled by the modern way of teaching and she decided to teach herself the classic techniques uh, which are no longer taught in most art schools and 15 years on and her works uh, hang in private collections around the world and Tara has been a freelance graphic designer for over 20 years although she originally wanted to be an artist and over the years her job killed her love for drawing as digital work took over It's only when she met Sandra and they set each other a few creative challenges and her spark for drawing with a pencil was finally reignited. She's been developing her skills ever since, and she also recently uh, sent herself a 60-day challenge to find her art style. So guys, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast today. It's such a pleasure to chat with you guys. Thank you for asking us. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. Well, as soon as I saw the premise of what you guys do in talking about art and talking about the creative, it was so evident to me. I mean, writing and being creative and finding your style of art, there's so many things that are in common there. I just thought that it would be such a fun, fun conversation for us to uh, jump into. And I think the first thing that I want to talk about that you guys have both identified that I just love. It actually has to do with my own background in terms of, I sought out in my journey, now I'm in marketing and and I do a lot of writing and copywriting and those sort of things in the health and fitness industry. But when I started my career, or sorry, my university career, I started in English literature and I felt so stifled by the constraints that were put on, okay, this is right. This is how you get a better mark and this is wrong. Don't do it that way. So let's start the conversation there. Um, I'd love to know your guys' thoughts on, you know, sort of how you think that impacts an artist and what are some ways that you can get outside of those boxes that sometimes feel like they they limit your creativity. Well, basically I, I relate 
wholly to what you just said about being stifled. As you said in the intro, I was very stifled by how they taught at um, art school. And really, to get a good mark, I was having to do the worst possible drawings (laughs) that you can imagine. And yet I wanted to produce lovely things. And um, I was constantly being told, no, art is not about that. It's not about producing pretty pictures. It's about imagination and, you know, just thinking outside of the box and all the rest of it. And of course, you know, that is true to a degree. But I wanted to actually learn the basic techniques before I was going to break the rules because how can you break the rules if you don't know the rules in the first place? But with art, as in visual art, that kind of thing, those classical techniques just aren't being taught anymore at your standard art schools. I mean, they are obviously in places like Florence, but I mean, who can afford to go places like that, Mm -hmm. really? So I did feel very, very disappointed. And, you know, I, I didn't want to paint or draw in a way that I didn't like just to get a good mark. I just wasn't interested in that. And I soon realized that the myth that I held in my head of, I have to have this piece of paper that proves I'm an artist. I finally realized that that actually isn't true at all. And it, you know, you can be an artist, you don't have to have any piece of paper at all. You, you know, you just have to be determined and you have to learn to, you know, by your mistakes and just, you know, keep at it and keep going. And eventually you do learn. And with writing, I can imagine it's the same, like you say, but, you know, just to, have to do things a certain way and feel like you've got to follow the crowd and write like this person or draw like that person. It's very important not to be like that. How how do you feel about this, Tara? Because you obviously wanted to go to art school, didn't you? Yeah, and art school was very good for me. But Mm. I have been to, I did try and go back to college actually a few years ago, just on a day sort of thing. Um, And what I found, it was very much how you talked about ticking boxes. So they weren't really interested in the fact that I was learning, they were just interested that they'd done that thing. And so I think the value is so much more in, instead of choosing that route, to learn online, because then you can pick and choose what you do. You can teach yourself. And if especially if you join some sort of community, you've got feedback from an audience and feedback from people who are a few steps ahead of you. But you're also not confined to this this set thing that everybody has to follow, you can take your own route more like that. And I definitely think that's the way to go now. Yeah, I I think it's interesting to reflect back on certain things I was taught in school and to think now how much I actually divert from them. Like an example of this would be grammar. (laughs) When When you're a copywriter, one of the things that's really interesting is when people write like they speak. And that would have just totally not gone over well in school. So it's interesting, you know, for me, I had this, this sort of rebellion of like, well, I can't be a writer and I don't want to be a teacher. And I actually took some time and space away from it, thinking that the path would not be, you know, would be possible for me to feel like I was getting the full fulfillment there. And then after a few years outside of it, you know, just making the decision that, uh, you know what, I'm just going to do this regardless. And of course, you always reflect back on what you've learned in in school either way. Like there's always good that, you know, comes with it. But it is interesting how it does shape you as an artist or a writer or whatever your, um, you know, your skill set is. 
I think with any creativity, you know, the, the secret to being good at something is to follow your heart and your own instincts and, you know, be true to you and yourself and try not to follow what people tell you you should be creating like or writing like or drawing like because if you do that it's never going to be very real and you're never going to enjoy it as much I mean I was always being told because when I wanted to um, be a painter I was interested in realism painting not because I you know wanted to be anything like Michelangelo or anything like that I didn't want it was just the fact that I wanted to to be able to to look at what I was seeing and create that and bring that to life on a canvas I don't think I'm a realism painting as in hyper-realism at all. I like to think there's a painterly part to it as well. You can see it's a painting. But, you know, it was really frowned upon when I started it because although realism is sort of coming back into trend now, it wasn't at all back then. It was kind of considered really old-fashioned. And so I was constantly being told to loosen up, loosen up. And I thought, well, hang on a minute, you know, why? (laughs) Why Why do I have to loosen up? Because that is not who, that's not something that, reflects perhaps my personality you know it doesn't feel natural to me and um once I started just ignoring all of those sort of people telling me that then I realized that actually that's when I started learning you know the most quickly and and started really understanding what I wanted and where I wanted to be and so I do think always follow you feel is right for you and just although it's always good to to listen to other people's advice and take it on board you don't have to follow it if it's not right for you yeah I think one of the problems with art and writing and everything is there's opinion and then there is really what is good and bad so there are certain things that are good and bad obviously but then a lot of it is opinion and it's knowing what to reject because that's purely oh just what someone's yeah, they naturally like or don't like and it's really difficult to work out I think you've got to decide who you feel like is a good mentor or who is a a person that you trust listen to them but reject other stuff that possibly is just opinion it's an interesting process for sure I have two sort of opposing examples my husband is very much into pottery and he's all self-taught, <laughs> watching YouTube videos, just really deciding, you know, what sort of pieces he wants to make in his own style. And then his mom has been like, she's been like professionally trained in pottery. Um, many, many years uh, spent at the college, you know, she's retired now. So this is where she's put all her energy. And it's very interesting, the different style types and the even the feedback that will will come out of it when my husband makes a piece of pottery it's like she's looking (laughs) almost like looking for the flaws or things that could be better like this edge is sharp this is this this is this whereas him it's pure enjoyment there's no you know I'm trying and that could be his personality too of course but it's just a very different I, I don't know if it's a different sense of fulfillment perhaps they both get the same fulfillment for taking part in it but it's definitely a different process, the way that the two of them go about it. And obviously it impacts the different things that my mother-in-law will actually try with pottery because she wants to get it exactly right versus the things my husband will try and fail at and, and be like, oh, this is, it's still fun. Like I'm still just trying and, you know, coming up with new things along the way. 
I think imperfections are the things as well that give something character and make something. Um, well, I always say imperfections are what makes art or writing perfect <laughs> in a way because it's your own character is in there somewhere in whatever way. But um, too perfect can be boring, do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we have people in our group, and you say about this being scared to fail. I think that's one thing where challenges are really good because mm-hmm. we've had people who've done abstract. They've never done abstract before. Uh, and if you were afraid to fail, you wouldn't try it. And yet we get people try that, love it, and then go on and like that becomes one of their things they love to do. Whereas if you'd never attempted it, you'd never know. It's just being brave enough, I think, to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that, uh, how you said the imperfections are actually what make it perfect because you're right. Like, you know, if everyone as an artist thought that things had to be perfect, they probably wouldn't, they wouldn't, you know, set out on that, uh, that initial challenge to begin with. I found in my, even my own, I I like to do, you know, some abstract art on the side, but I think why I like it so much is that it just, you can keep going with abstract art until it feels like you. Like you just, you keep going, you can keep adding layers and layers and colors. And I think it's sometimes it's the same with writing because you can just keep editing until it feels like your style. But I once had this art teacher and this would have been in grade uh, seven till grade 12. We had him, I had him for most of those years and he was incredible, an incredible art teacher, but he also never allowed us to work with an eraser, (laughs) which is funny, like as a life lesson now, of course, looking back, but he like, you know, he just never wanted you to feel like anything that you were creating was a mistake. It was on purpose. It will flow into whatever piece of art that you're creating. There are no mistakes. And that was just, you know, reflecting back now, what a, what a beautiful lesson to leave with. Mm. Oh, yeah. We have people in our group and, you know, one person in particular, I remember her saying, oh, you know, my, my lines are just so wobbly. And, you know, I remember saying to her, you know, there is absolutely nothing interesting about a straight line. <laughs> you know, wobbly lines are far more interesting. And she just couldn't see that that was what made her drawings her own. And you could tell they were hers because of her particular line work. And um, she kind of saw that as a flaw, whereas I actually don't agree. I think that's, um, it's unique to her and it's mm-hmm. it's recognisable to her. And there are a lot of people that say things like that in our group. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm not very good. And, oh, this isn't right. Or they'll put, they'll put a post, uh, like a drawing they've done up and they'll say oh this isn't right and that's not right and we say well you know nobody would have noticed that it's because you've now pointed it out everyone's only going to see that (laughs) but Mm -hmm. but otherwise nobody would see that at all you've just you don't need to point out anything because you're never going to be happy with anything you do and it's something I learned a long time ago I could always post up my paintings and drawings and say oh yeah but I Looking back, if I did it again, I'd, I'd probably do this. Mm-hmm. But I've learned a long time ago not to do that because, you know, everybody likes different things anyway. No one's, like Tara said earlier, it's subjective, isn't it? Nobody's, not everybody's going to like the same thing. But you don't have to worry about being imperfect because who, who's to say that wasn't what you meant anyway? <laughs> but our group is fantastic. It's fantastic because there's such a an array of different 
people from different backgrounds and different levels of skill and it's so interesting because they all interact whether you know you might get somebody who's been drawing and is really established at what they do mm-hmm. um for years and, and a whole a complete beginner there's so much encouragement that goes on and people learning from each other and um slowly people get more confident and they're they're not so often pointing out their own mistakes and they're more seeing their own improvements because it's kind of like a record in time as well because some of the people in our group have been in it from the very very beginning and it's interesting isn't Tara when we look at these people because some of those people we can see have vastly improved from when they started and it's because they've just been doing these little daily challenges and um, it's incredible how much that little and often can improve your art and make you more confident in what you do even if you you know you make mistakes doesn't matter you're less likely to be bothered about it and just share it anyway it's very interesting to see how people evolve and so I think that leads perfectly to my next question how do you actually find your own style which you Tara's the best Tara's the best person (laughs) (laughs) well I mean I don't know if it's exactly the same for writing but People, I kept on hearing this thing with art that basically you just found it in time and it kind of miraculously appeared after mm-hmm. you'd put the work in. And I decided, well, no, I'm going to, I want to fast track this thing because I need to focus. And the only way I can focus is, is to set myself this challenge. I'm going to do it. So for 60 days, I decided I was going to find my style. And that went through, and I'm sure you could do this with writers. So I went looking at all the artists I liked. What did I like about them? And you could do exactly the same thing with writing. And then took those bits and I tried to incorporate some of those elements into my work as I did it. But it was that being prepared to try things out because I videoed the whole thing. So each day I was putting out what I produced and some of it was terrible. And I think that is, you've got to be prepared to do the terrible stuff. And while I was doing that terrible stuff, I think my brain was processing because I was doing other things in my sketchbook. And I just kept on having these uh, opposing ideas come through. And eventually, I worked out how to tie them together. So it's almost like you have to go through this kind of messy middle bit. So you're working through, you're trying things, messy middle. And then finally, kind of brain works out how to pull it together at the end. And, and now I feel like I've got something that's recognizable in me. And I say, I think it, the same sort of concept would work for writing. Yeah, absolutely. And I go through a similar process where. If I'm trying to develop a style, whether it be, you know, posts for social media purposes or emails or things like that, I love to do a search of what's out there, subscribe to anything that that feels of interest. And then you start to notice these things where you're like, oh, I opened that email. What was the subject line? Or I read that post. What hooked me in? And why did I keep reading? And you start to, like you're saying, like develop this sort of bank of, of different ideas. And then, you know, you start to figure out what you're more drawn to with writing. I always love it, a good story in an email that pulls me in. And then with a really funny GIF that is like very well pointed, like I could almost look at the GIF and totally understand the whole first part of the email. I love that sort of stuff. That really, really draws me in. So I think that, you know, finding that, like you're saying, the middle is messy, though. Yeah. (laughs) And you're sorting through all this. 
and trying to make sense of uh, what you're drawn to. But I love this idea of, you know, a 60 day challenge um, to do so. And I know that's something that you guys very much teach and that's, that's part of your process. So how do your challenges work, your creative challenges, and how do you feel that this really uh, sets people up for, for creating um, the habits they need to, you know, to really, yeah, just be engaged with art and sort of take it to that next level? Well, first of all, I think we, we supply them like a safe place to share their art without any risk of being publicly humiliated by mean comments because we just do not allow that in the group and and actually touch wood which I'm touching now we have absolutely we've been so so lucky we kind of vet people when they come in we could get a feel for what they're like because we sort of say you know what why would you like to join so we we kind of know whether people are in there for the right reasons and we've been so lucky everybody in there is so lovely so yeah we provide that safe place for them to make their bad drawings and show their bad drawings bad drawings probably wrong word but they're the ones they're not happy with and be confident to share things like that and obviously then we give them we run four challenges a month, obviously not for everybody to do all four challenges. Of course, it's for them to choose from. So we try and do we try and do something for everyone. So there is one challenge, which is called the kick time challenge. And this is where we offer them. We, we give them a prompt word at the beginning of the month and they have to use that word to create something over the period of a whole month. So that's for the people that want to to work on a big project over a whole month rather than lots and lots of little ones. And that's great for people who want to write, you know, or write music or maybe write a screenplay, that kind of thing. So we have that. And then we have the Quick Kicks Challenge, which is the complete polar opposite. It's people that haven't got much time, but they want to build this creative habit. So it's encouraging them to do a little bit every day. And these can be sort of anything between five and 15 minute challenges. But as much as they are very short, they're very, they're well thought out in the way that they're not just fun. I mean, obviously they are fun, but they are designed to also improve your skills. So we have things like the non-dominant hand challenge. So if you're right-handed, you'd have to draw something with your left hand every day for a month. And they, you know, this is in order to stimulate the creative side of your brain. There's some people say, don't they, that I think it's actually been proven now that your brain your creative side of the brain works and is triggered by using your non-dominant hand. So that's quite interesting. And it's surprising how much people are quite surprised at how well they can draw with their other hand by the end of the month. Uh, what else is there, Tara? The quick kicks ones. There's the oh, we, we have two two other challenges. So oh yeah, we, yeah. Might be a poetry challenge, and then there'll be another challenge, and we vary them each month. And the whole idea is people are trying different things to find those things that they do enjoy like you were trying saying about trying things and failing well the idea is they can find the things that fit plus mm. it expands what you would normally do so say you're normally quite safe and you might just use a pencil it might get you you know using a brush or using the wrong hand like Sandra was saying the idea is totally to be experimental and find out what fits with you and improve your skills and create that habit, that creative habit, which is um, probably the main thing, really. But it's that accountability as well. We've mm. got people in the group and they know that other people are kind of looking out for them. So 
they feel like they should, which is terrible to say you should, but they feel like someone cares if they post or not. So it's much more encouraging. You're much more likely to do something, I think, if you've kind of publicly stated you're going to do something. I think as well, when you're in a group long term and suddenly you don't post for a while, even in amongst a thousand or fifteen hundred people, there are still people that I'll think, oh, actually, so-and-so hasn't posted this month. I wonder what's going on in their lives. Do you know what I mean? And, and so you do kind of get to know these people. So I think there is a, a lot of people who do actually care what goes on in the group. It's actually really nice. Uh, but it is interesting because people you get people saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I haven't posted for two days. And it's it's quite, it makes me chuckle because I think nobody probably would have noticed if you hadn't, but you've just told everyone. But it's, it is absolutely that accountability, which is so good for people. Yeah, I love that. When you, when you guys were talking about the non-dominant hand, uh, I had actually heard about that in the sense of journaling, that if you write with your left hand, it channels your inner child. So there's a little bit of a difference in the creativity that will come from that. So Mm. I thought that was was interesting and interesting that it's also talked about in the art world as well and comes up in the challenges. So the next question I wanted to ask you guys about, I thought this was very interesting, uh, talking about how important it is to to follow what comes naturally to us rather than to see art is as a way that, you know, how we should do something or what we think will sell. So how do you think that, you know, I guess, you know, we could talk about a little bit about the importance of this and then how to actually let that go so that we can be in that full creative space without worrying about those other things. Well, I had a real hang up that I needed to use paint. (laughs) So I probably had one of those exact hang ups that you were talking about. And I felt like by not using paint, I wasn't really a proper artist. But I like more tactile stuff. So I like using pastels, quite immediate things, uh, pastels, markers, that sort of thing. But I suddenly realized, well, I tried during my challenge. I kept on trying to use paint and I suddenly realized there is no point in this. I'm not enjoying it. So if I'm not enjoying it, I'm going to not do it as much anyway. And I kind of like what I'm producing with the pastels. So in the end, I think you've just got to run with it because you're just going to hate what you do. If you try, I mean, I think you definitely got to try these things. But if you don't do what makes you happy, you're just going to do less of it and eventually give up probably. I agree with that. I mean, I think if you were to walk around an um, an art gallery and you know, everybody in the art gallery had gone to the same art school and was still painting in the same style that their teacher told them to paint and the same sort of subject and and following those same rules, the art would be pretty boring. The one you you kind of stop and look at is the person who perhaps has ignored all of that and is just followed exactly what they want to do naturally. And you'll go, hmm, there's something different about that, that piece of art. And it's because there's something of themselves in there and they're not just following the crowd. Painting or doing anything just to sell, obviously that's an absolutely the cherry on the cake. Can't deny that. I mean, I sell paintings and sometimes paintings don't sell. You know, some, some you sell, some you don't. It doesn't. But the point is, I can only step back from a painting and, and say it's come from me 
if it's something I've painted because I really truly want to paint it, and that's why I very rarely rarely take on commissions. I'll only take on a commission if it's something that I would love to paint anyway, and that I have a certain amount of freedom to, as the artist, to say you know what I feel is best as well, and that that's how they that, that's why they work when I do them, and and the odd occasion I've done it um, where I've done something for someone because they wanted it this way or that way I've never been happy with it so yeah I do I just think the the beauty of art is how different everybody's art is and so that's why I do feel it's really really important just to follow what you what comes naturally to you and that will in itself develop a style just by not following the rules that you've been taught by other people always not always (laughs) If that makes sense, it doesn't make sense what I just said then, does it? <laughs> no, no, it, it it definitely does. I I it makes me think back to the sort of four levels of consciousness where when you first start out in in something, this skill or habit, you're you go through unconscious incompetence first, where you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> so yeah. you really don't know how good or bad something is, you know, bad, I, I say with, you know, quotations around it. Yeah. Um, but then you move to a level of conscious incompetence where you start to realize, oh, maybe there are some things I can improve. And then you move over to conscious competence and then unconscious competence. So it's this level where you sort of take all the learnings, all the things, and it just sits somewhere in the back of your (laughs) cerebellum somewhere. And you just, you go with like this unconscious learning in the background, but you're still, you're driving it from a creative space and creative heart and applying things that you um, maybe have learned along the way, but it's unconscious. Like you're just, you're crafting it from this beautiful place of, uh, letting the creativity lead, if that makes sense. In the yeah. zone almost. Yeah. yeah. And haven't we all looked back on a piece of work? I mean, that you did. And at the time you were like, wow, I love this. You know, it's brilliant. You know, mm. this is when you're learning, you think I can do it. And then five years later you pick it up and you think oh my god that's awful (laughs) so you know it's it's funny isn't it and it's kind of takes me back to being a kid when you just paint something or draw something and you just think it's an absolute masterpiece and you want your mum to stick it on the fridge and she does and you know it's it that's a lovely thing because you aren't really aware of your you're not aware of your mistakes you just think what you've produced is amazing and what a great feeling so in a, in a way what we also try and do is kind of get people to reconnect with that child inside that kind of just looks at the picture and thinks it sees it for what it is it's something they've created and they should be proud of just the fact they created it not nitpick about the things that perhaps you know are not the joy of creating basically absolutely completely Mm. the joy of creating yeah it's so funny you guys say that because as I was thinking about that image of something that I've created it's so funny my dad has kept every piece of art (laughs) that I've made and I think back to this one this was with this art teacher I had had Mr. Greg I need to give him credit he was from uh Australia and 
So I have this one piece that I did and it is hanging up now actually in my sister's uh, store. She has a, an area rug and art store and it's the boxiest people you've ever seen. Like their shoulders could not be more square and triangular, (laughs) but it almost looks like it was on purpose now that you look back. (laughs) And it's so funny because it was just what was obviously what I was you know, it was just my attempt at this, you know, these three students in blazers. We went to a, a private school, everyone in a tie and blazer, and these three students sitting at the desk drawing. And it must have been one of those, you know, you're sitting and you're you're drawing what's on the other side of the table. And I look at it now and I sort of, look, you know, like I look at it with a lot of love, like, wow, like that was just like this moment captured in time, captured in my youth. And you know, it, it's amazing what art can evoke when you look back at it as that like snapshot in time. And it, yeah, it. yeah, absolutely. It's funny because, um, only a couple of weeks ago, my mum came over and she said, oh, I've got a son called Charlie and he's 23 and he's moved into his um, first home with his girlfriend. And my mum, she brought over this framed painting, which was basically in a loft by then and it was my the first ever watercolor I had done and it was of a boat sitting on a beach and um, local to where I'd, I'd lived and I'd gone out and done it you know on plein air and, and it was it was an amazing experience it was the first time I'd ever painted outdoors and it was a painting that at the time I was completely over the moon with and um, she bought it round bearing in mind this painting I probably did you know 20 years ago or maybe just over 15 years ago something like that when I first sort of started painting seriously and she brought it over and she said do you think Charlie would like this on his wall and I was like no no I don't think I don't want it on his wall what are you talking about she's like well surely you're not going to throw it away I was like no it's precious I don't want to throw it away but I just don't ever want to see the light of day (laughs) I want it to be tucked away somewhere in attic where I can kind of look back on it with fondness every now and then but I don't want it you know haunting me on someone's wall (laughs) so it's funny we have a love-hate relationship with with previous pieces of art because on the one hand you know you have usually if you've kept it up and you've done it regularly you've improved a huge amount since then but then on the other hand you know you look at it now and you just think oh you know (laughs) that you, you look back at it with fondness for what it was at the time do you know what I mean but you can't get what I'm trying to say Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's kind of a strange relationship with, with old pieces of art. You can't throw them away, but at the same time, you can hardly bear looking at them sometimes. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I get that. You know, I don't think I, I didn't, I never kept a lot of my old journals for that reason of going back and, and reading some of this. And now I sort of wish I, I would have, but going back and, and reading it and, oh, man, it could just, for me, it could just bring me back right to that moment of what I was, you know, experiencing or dealing with. So it is so funny. And I'm so thankful that my, my dad kept all those pieces because now I can, you know, get over that, like whatever it was, I was feeling secondhand embarrassment for myself or what it was. (laughs) And I don't have those journals now. Like I can't get back to that. So I, yeah, I can really appreciate that. I love that. Even the same with places. I know um, we've been out sketching in sort of London and those sketches, if I look back at now, I can put myself 
in that cafe seat. I can see the people we were drawing. And yet if I'd have taken a photograph there, it would have just been distant. It wouldn't have been the same. There's no, not the same connection there. Mm-hmm. And you pro- you probably never kept the photo, would you? No, lost, probably not. No. You know. But yeah, you're right. You do. It take it does take you exactly back to where you where you can hear things, you can smell things. It's incredible, actually. And what, like Tara says, you can't get that from a photo. Mm-hmm. So you guys, you guys are just so fun to chat with. I could just go on all day about this stuff, and I'm so interested to hear more about. How can people find you guys and follow you and uh, join in on your podcast and uh, in your Facebook uh, group as well? Well, the best place is our website. It's the main place, which is Kicking the Creatives. And then we've also got the Facebook called exactly the same thing, uh, Kicking the Creatives. Same thing as a podcast. So basically, if you search Kicking the Creatives, you're going to find us. But also we have a we have a Facebook group and a Facebook page. So if you want to join the group, make sure you actually come to the group rather than just the page. Okay, that is perfect. Well, I so very much appreciate your time, guys. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, oh thank you so much us. for having us. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Social Selling Simplified. Be sure to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, leave a rating and review. I read each and every one and I love hearing from you. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you right back here next week on Social Selling Simplified.